listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 141 and 142 of Read Through the Bible in a Year. If you're reading, good for you. If you're just listening, even better, because we're listening <laughs> with you. We are um, just continuing the oral tradition It's been handed down for 2,000 years and before Christ, even before that. This is how the people of God articulate and pass on the wonderful interaction of our God with his people. And we are his people. So where are we today, Matt? All right. We are in our Old Testament reading today is 1 Samuel chapter 8 through chapter 12. Mm. Samuel's getting old. Yeah. Samuel has kids now. So again, it insinuates some years of peace, mm-hmm. which is nice. It's not always, when you read the Bible, sometimes it feels like everything is always happening. And you have to realize uh, there's, just like real life, yeah. there's time in between events. Yeah. It's not tumultuous every day of the year. But uh, Samuel gets old and he has two children, right? Mm-hmm. Firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah. Yep. And his sons did not walk in his ways. Yes. But turned aside. And it sounds like the description here of his sons are um, bad political guys. Yeah. It's, I mean, bribes and perverted justice. Eerily similar to the sons of Eli, which at first is like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah. He's like falling into the same thing that Eli fell into. And, uh, the difference, though, I think, is they were just set up as political authorities and yeah. not as priestly authorities. So it, it's like the people of God have learned something mm-hmm. because they say, look, Samuel, you don't pervert justice, but your sons are. And it sounds like Samuel is setting up kind of a reign, mm-hmm. you know, where his sons then judge. So the idea of judging is is just what we think of a judge. Like he's yeah. settling disputes and kind of working for the justice and mercy of the land, and his sons are taking bribes. Not good. Now, I don't believe that mishandling the tabernacle worship, right. which is what God really, you can't mess with that. That's, so that's why, why it came down on Eli so hard. Yeah, and Eli's sons, that was a, uh, a religious mishandling, which means not religious, but um, a spiritual mishandling, mm-hmm. which is a big, big deal, life and death, clean, unclean kind of thing. Yeah. But these guys are just ruining the mojo of Samuel. And mm-hmm. so people are like, we want a king. We want a king. Yeah. And Samuel is so displeased with this. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And I think he takes it a little personally because mm-hmm. he's kind of like a king now. And it's one-stop shopping. It's your religious, mm-hmm. political, um, salvation, judge kind of thing. Why would you guys want to mess with this? Mm-hmm. And God has to say to Samuel, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. The people don't want God as their king. So mm-hmm. listen to their voice. And he has to do it like, God has to say this to him like twice. Mm-hmm. Just listen to them. And so Samuel says, fine. And God does say, you can warn them. Yeah. And some of the scariest, I mean, that's scary. Chapter 8, verse uh, 10 through 18 is kind of a scary section because Samuel is saying exactly, he basically is saying, here's what kings do. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't changed. Right. To even this day, mm-hmm. kings do the same things. And he, so he lists. He's like, look, if you get a king who will reign over you, he will take your sons and he'll, he'll take all your sons and he'll appoint them to one facet of our nation. Mm-hmm. So there'll be 
taking care of the chariots. They'll be taking care of the horses. They'll be working in my house or they'll all be in the military. They'll be, uh, you'll have to give me your land. You'll have to give me your women. You'll have to give me uh, your produce. Like you're going to have to give things, not just offerings to the tabernacle, but now you're going to be giving taxes and your, mm-hmm. your boys are going to be registered for the army. Yeah. You're going to be giving power over to a man. Yeah. And quite literally, he says, you will become his slaves. Like, mm-hmm. you guys are going to be the king's slaves, and you have to do whatever the king does. And if the king messes up, he represents you. Mm-hmm. So Samuel is doing everything he can to say, uh, understand the power of agreement here. Yeah, right. You are agreeing to have someone represent you politically. Yeah. And this is what kings do. Because they're saying all the other nations have kings. And he's like, right, look at how all kings, look at all all politicians and all forms of government like this. We have the chance to be ruled by God. And our headquarters can be a place of worship, not commerce and politics. And you're choosing this? And they said, oh, yeah, we're choosing it. Yeah. And I love, he says in 18, and in the day that you cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves... The Lord will not answer you in that day. Right. <laughs> and so what you see is the people of God are not asking oh, for the will of God. They want their own will. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's setting the trajectory for a big, really, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've grown into through reading the Bible is realizing how important a king is. Mm-hmm. He represents you. Yeah. So like if our president gets into a war, we're in war. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has to go through, we have steps and everything to try to, and, and there is some representation, but really, if those men or women in a central location make decisions for us, we're at war. So now we're rationing, or now mm-hmm. we're, but you might not be for that war. You might be, and all these kinds of things, but that's what happens. You make an agreement, it sets the trajectory that the, the king over Israel is going to matter. Yeah. And that's why I just always have to jump when uh, the Romans put king of the Jews over Jesus' cross. Is such a huge deal because now we have King Jesus. Mm-hmm. And King Jesus always listens to the voice of God. He always obeys the word of God. He always walks and leads the way Deuteronomy says a king is supposed to. Right. And so I thank God that Jesus is our king. But back to this story, Samuel tries to warn them and they say, no, um, we want to do this. Again, Samuel says, God, what do I do? And God says, obey their voice and make them a king. Yep. So... Uh, Go make them a king. Yeah, and then we jump to chapter 9, and we are introduced to Saul, the Benjamites. Sweet baby Saul. He just, I felt like I need to make a song, because it's a sad song. Though. Saul was so tall, and that was about it. Saul basically looks like a king. They kind of want like a guy to lead them that looks like a warrior. <clears throat> Saul is described as head a head taller than everybody else. Yeah. He's just their strong fighter guy, and he's from the tribe of... Benjamin. Yeah. Uh Scratch the record. Makes no sense. So the last time we heard about Benjamin... (laughs) Benjamin. That's... Uh, They were doing some horrible things and almost uh, wiped off the face of the earth. And they Uh. had to uh, steal and kill to kind of keep their tribe alive. Well, we last left Benjamin, yeah, with permission to stalk and steal women. Yeah, 600 remaining Benjamites. 
yeah. got to steal a bunch of women from the rest of Israel. Yeah. They put a whole town, Jabesh Gilead, to death, and then stole a bunch of other women from uh, a festival of the Lord. Which, which shows, like, people are... Um, and we're skipping some of the story of how Saul comes, but we're just going right to it. Saul is a Benjamin, and it's like everyone's forgetting that the rest of Israel was ready to wipe Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, off. I almost don't know if it, it's like almost like an over, like an overreaction. Yeah, right? it's an overreaction, a hundred percent. It's like the whole that whole story was an overreaction to an like overreaction to an overreaction, and now it's, it's still continuing. And I feel like um, to like there's like still this idea okay. of guilt, yeah. and it's like. Well, maybe to make things right, we're going to make a Benjamite our king. Well, I think the guilt idea from you is because you're a sweet person. I actually think the overreaction is we couldn't kill these Benjamites. These guys, are, and they were known as warriors, yeah, right? Yeah. And they could, they had a perfect shot. They were left-handed just mm-hmm. to get the advantage. I think it was more crass than you. Okay. You're nice. I think everyone's like, who are the baddest, most violent people? Yeah, Benjamin. Benjamin. We can't wipe him out. Yeah, we want those. We want. Wolf. We want yeah. the ravenous wolf to represent us because they're not thinking of their spiritual, emotional well-being. That's true. They're thinking purely of we want to be defended because mm-hmm. we're not trusting the Lord to defend us. That's like foolish. Yeah. So we need to get the baddest, tallest, most vicious warrior we can find. And the tribe of Benjamin. And I think God knows this because mm-hmm. God calls him. He's like, mm-hmm. and they accept it. Yeah. Because no, God's like, this is who they want. They want a warrior. Mm-hmm. We'll give him one. And then God tries to make it work, right? Yeah. So, like, and again, too, like, so Kish, uh, Saul's dad, uh, he's known as a mighty man, a mighty man of power, which, again, is a, uh, in most of the versions, they'll say a man of wealth, but literally it was a mighty man of power, which designates him as a warrior. So he was like a known warrior. And so he's coming from this line of warriors, and he's tall, he's handsome, and we introduce this story of he's kind of doing like just a normal like like little misadventure here, where oh his donkey, his dad's donkeys have wandered off and they don't know where they are. Right. And so Saul and one of his servants goes out to search for the donkeys, and right. they're trying to figure out where are these donkeys. And they're wandering around, and his servant goes, hey, we're in this town. Before we head back, because your dad's probably more worried about us now than right. the donkeys, uh, there's, a, there's a seer here. And the interesting idea is Saul doesn't know about Samuel. So that kind of leads us to think Saul is not a very religious guy. He doesn't no. really know anything about the things of God if he doesn't know about Samuel. Right. But his servant does. And so they're like, let's stop here. And let's see if the seer knows where our donkeys are. Right. And so it, it, it starts in motion, the whole relationship with Samuel. Um, Samuel, is, meanwhile, is hearing from the Lord that mm-hmm. tomorrow the person I'm choosing to be king is going to come to you. And it's all kind of orchestrated. A mm-hmm. lot like, um, well, in the New Testament, Peter and Cornelius in Acts. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's like a, Peter gets a vision, Cornelius gets a vision, yep. they meet up, and the gospel goes out. Well, um, Tomorrow, this time, Benjamin, you know, this, uh, a man will come to you from the land of Benjamin. And uh, the Lord says to Samuel, he says, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. So like, uh, 
the idea for Samuel is he knows they want a king who will restrain them mm-hmm. and kind of keep them in line, mm-hmm. which is can be good. That would be the good thing, um, unless this king decides not to trust the voice of the Lord. Right. So that's the gamble that Samuel knows, and so he finds Saul. So he's obeying the Lord, and saying, "I, I do. I didn't say this, but it just kind of hit me that." Samuel's not afraid to keep asking the Lord. I love that. That's a relationship. Yeah. Are you sure you should I do this, Lord? I don't mm-hmm. want to disobey you. And the Lord's like, trust me, they don't want me. So I'll set up a someone who um for some reason they'll choose to lead them. Yeah. A, a Benjamite who's yeah, they give their hearts to him because that's what we do in our brokenness and our our fear. And so then uh without going all the way through it, I think we can pretty much just say he chooses. Saul, he anoints him privately mm-hmm. and uh, says, you're going to be king. Yeah, he says, you're going to be king. And don't no one worry, the donkeys it. are taken care of. They're right. already back at your ho- at your home. And on your way back, some signs are going to happen just to prove to you that you really have been anointed by God. And so he anoints him, um, He, which is the anointed one, yeah. which means a messiah. Yeah. So like Jesus Christ means Messiah. Christ is Messiah, mm-hmm. which means the anointed one. You're set apart to mm-hmm. lead. So Samuel takes a flask of oil and pours it on the head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And mm-hmm. you shall reign over the people. So, And save them from the hand of the surrounding enemies. And then he gives them a sign. Um, he, he sends them on his way. And so little, sweet little Saul, yeah. not little, um, has been anointed by the seer. Mm-hmm. And then the sign is the donkeys will be found. Mm-hmm. And again, there's so many things like Jesus says, there'll be a donkey waiting for you. Like there's mm-hmm. all these little signs about Jesus, the true Messiah, the true anointed one. And right. you're starting to get all the puzzle pieces. Like Samuel hears from God. Jesus will hear from God. Um, Saul will see, Saul will protect his people. Jesus will protect his people. David has a heart. Jesus has a heart. You start to yeah. see the the pieces and they all start to intertwine. So you got donkeys. That's the sign. Saul's going, okay. And then you're going to run into some prophets. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then at one point when he's like in his town, there'll be some more prophets that he runs into. And the Spirit of the Lord's going to rush upon you. And you're going to yeah. prophesy with the prophets. Which happens, the rush of God's Spirit. Again, mm-hmm. the rush of the Spirit at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of God rushes upon anyone, on Samson, on Saul. You mm-hmm. prophesy. And now this is all testifying that God is with you. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, you're speaking the things of God, and you're usually not a preacher-type person. Well, and it says, um, you'll prophesy and be turned into another man. Yeah. And this idea that Saul oh. really was not aligned with God, was right. not really a man of God, and yet the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he's prophesying in his hometown, and all the people are looking, going, uh, wait, is Saul a prophet now? But, but that doesn't that happen to people when they put their faith in Christ? The yeah. Holy Spirit moves in. It's like, oh, now you're better than us? Yeah. You're more righteous? What, all oh, of a sudden yeah. you're a Christian? Yeah. Yesterday you were doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I got saved and the Spirit rushed upon me. Mm-hmm. So like even the Old Testament, the Spirit is active. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And he's doing the same things he's always done, mm-hmm. uh, which is uniting us to Christ, uniting us to each other, speaking things of God. So then he says, wait seven days, and the eighth day I will show up and tell you what to do. 
right? Yeah, and so he he goes back, he beats up with his uncle. His uncle finds him, tells him, hey, we found the donkeys. We were worried about you. What happened? And he tells him, oh, I met with the seer, Samuel, but he doesn't tell him he anointed me to be king. Right. And so then... Because he's the reluctant yeah, judge like, again. Like, I don't really know what just what happened. Right. And uh, so Samuel now calls everyone back together and he's like all right we're gonna cast lots and we're gonna uh, find out who the king is (laughs) and he's hiding among the baggage right yeah and so it's really cool like he god has him do it privately but now he's gonna assign the assign the king publicly in front of all the people doing the thing that he's supposed to do and it comes down to oh the tribe of benjamin oh the clan of kish oh uh, the son of Kish, Saul. and But Saul's nowhere to be found. He's hiding among the baggage because he kind of is like probably watching this whole thing going, oh man, uh, yep, this is real. This They're going to choose me. Right. Oh no, I don't want this responsibility. Well, I just had the thought too that this is how God calls people into ministry, <laughs> yeah. into salvation. It always starts, well, in, in ministry they call it like, like if you want to become a pastor, mm-hmm. you have the inner calling mm-hmm. where it's like, you feel you want to do this, you're called to it. And then over your years of hanging out and mm-hmm. getting educated and being around ministry, there's a moment of ordination. Like we have spe- we have times of ordination where leaders are set apart, yeah. anointed for ministry. Yeah. And you see this in the Old Testament and even the life of Jesus. Like he's privately kind of growing up this way. And then even his baptism is not like the official, it is an announcement, but Mm -hmm. really he's coronated as king at his death Mm -hmm. when they actually put king of the Jews and then he resurrects and now he's king. And so you see that pattern. The people start, they don't have a problem. They're like, long live the king. Yeah. Because he's tall. Most of the people are like, woohoo. And then there's, again, they say some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And despised him and brought him no present. Mm-hmm. But Saul held his peace. So, again, we see, like, this idea of him being kind of reluctant and gracious and being like, oh, okay. But but this gives a clue. All of Saul's reign, what we're going to find out, all of Saul's time as king, he's so concerned about a public opinion. Yes. And I think maybe from the very beginning, maybe it's because he's tall, he's a little self-conscious, mm-hmm. and he just wants people to like him, which will be his downfall. Right. He's going to try and please people who you can't please. Mm-hmm. And so there are people, like we were saying earlier, I, I bet they despise him because they're like, are you serious? A Benjamite? Yeah, totally. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And that would be the party of people. Yeah, so that would make sense. So you mm-hmm. read that and you're like, okay. Then we get into chapter 11 where oh, Saul gets his first victory as a king. And I think it's a be- it's poetic. <laughs> this is so good. It's really poetic. As I was reading, um, it says the Ammonites went up to besiege Jabesh Gilead. And I was reading this going, wait, what? where's Jabesh Gilead? Why do I recognize that? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the town that Israel, when they realize we can't wipe out Benjamin... And we need wives for it. And we need wives. We wiped out. Israel wiped out Jabesh Gilead and took 400 of their women and killed everybody else. Yeah. So how, what do you think Jabesh Gilead has been doing since that monstrosity? Yeah. Struggling to reestablish themselves or people moved in and uh, whatever yeah. it was. Here, here's this town and 
maybe, tw- I don't know, uh, maybe 100 years, 50 years later. Yeah. Probably 50, 60 years later. Yeah, we're not really sure. But we're yeah. not really sure, but there's been some time. Mm-hmm. Now they're being um, terrorized by the Ammonites. Yeah, because they're a weak town. And the Ammonites are saying, if you make a treaty, we're going to wipe you out or gouge out your right eye. And cut off your right hand. Yeah, and we'll be make a treaty with you. Basically mm-hmm. saying, totally new to yourself, so there's no rebellion, mm-hmm. be our slaves. Well, they cry out to their new king because they have a king who happens to be a Benjamite, and they're probably saying, hey, Benji, you wiped us out. Could you do us a solid and, and protect us? us? Yeah. And Saul steps up and says, you know what? Poetically and literally, we will all rally and save this place that was wiped out for us, for Benj- the tribe mm-hmm. of Benjamin to have women. I love this. Like, so again, when Saul hears about this news, he's just plowing his, his field. Like he's just doing normal things. Right. Like he's not king. And when he hears about the trouble of Jabesh Gilead, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him again. Yeah. He kills his oxen. He divides them up much like the Levite, Levite divided yep. the concubine up yep. and sends them out and says, uh, I will, this will happen to you if you don't join me to save this city that we destroyed. Right. The first king, Benjamite, will save Jabesh Gilead. I think the Lord turns people in places towards life when he's, the spirit rushes in. Mm-hmm. And I did note here, symbolizing the reversal of the Levite and his concubine incident, saving mm-hmm. Jabesh Gilead now. Yes. And God gives victory. Yeah. 130,000 troops. Def- Wait, were there 130,000 of... Ammonites that they killed? Was that the number? I, I don't know. I, I had that in my mind for some reason. But anyway, it was a big victory, right? Mm-hmm. No one really cares about the exact number. Huge victory. They they win, and the kingdom is renewed. And remember, too, that this little town is on the east side of the Jordan. Yeah. And so it's so a less desirable side. It's a less desirable side. And and part of this whole thing, though, is there's a you're being reunited. Like, all the pieces of Israel are kind of being reunited, and being solidified as we're all Israel, we're all Israelites, and we're all being protected by the king. Reunited. And uh, it feels so good. All right. And and then, so they do that, and then there's this little thing at the end where people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Because after this great victory, they're like, who didn't believe in Saul? Bring them out. We're going to kill those guys. Yes. And, um... And uh, it's interesting because Samuel's like, all right, let's gather at Gilgal, which I love. Like, whenever there's, like, big moments, they need to kind of remember who they are and their unity. They end up back at Gilgal, which is where um, they first landed when they came across the Jordan into the Promised Land. And they're always, that's where they always go to kind of remember who they are and to have any reproach removed from the uh, people. Well, as a nation. And it's perfect because Saul starts off strong. Yeah. He says, no, don't kill these guys. Mm-hmm. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. So it yeah. sounds very good. But now, after reading the rest of the story, you wonder if he's just trying to make friends mm-hmm. and make sure people like him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, again, it's the right language. Yeah. Sounds like he's being noble. Don't kill them. But then the rest of his life, man, he has no problem killing the people of God. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. <clears throat> so it's funny that his first big victory, he's like, I think he's full of the spirit, mm-hmm. maybe not knowing what's going on exactly, but he's like, no, don't kill these guys. They could be a future, a future voting block. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the men of Israel greatly rejoiced. Everything sounds good. And Samuel then says, uh, 
All right, Lord, I obeyed your voice. Everything's going. I've made a king. And now the king walks before you, and I'm old and gray. And so um, he's going to try and kind of go. It sounds like he goes away, but he's still going to be the priest, just not yeah. with he's, not with Saul. Well, he's like stepping down as a, That's a political true. authority. That's true, because he has been. So he's been the political authority, but now he's like, okay, you guys are recognizing Saul. He's had his first victory. Everyone's kind of uniting under him. He just saved Jabesh Gilead. Um, you guys wanted a king. You have him. Uh, I'm ending my legacy. I tried to set up my sons, but they're not going to rule anymore. I'm not going to rule anymore in this way. And he's just then retells. He's like, remember yeah. what God has done for you. Remember who your real king is. And remember uh, that this is all about the Lord. Yes. And you need to go after him. Uh, and so he says over and over again, if you serve and obey the Lord in his voice and don't rebel against his commandments, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow your Lord, it'll be well. Yeah. And if you uh, will not obey the Lord, then it will not be good for you. Yeah. And, and he's kind of like, you guys made a mistake making a king. And I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to prove it to you. Yes. With this sign. And so what's fascinating to me is during this time that he's saying all this, uh, it's during the time of harvest mm -hmm. where you're going to uh, harvest all the grain, yeah, the wheat. and no, and Which is the dry, it's like, the dry season. Rain has already come and fertilized everything. Right? Yeah, and allowed things to grow. And he's like, I'm going to call upon the Lord and there's going to be a, a lightning storm that's going to come over yeah. the whole land. And it's kind of a judgment sign because if it rains during this dry season, the grain and everything will get moldy and mm -hmm. be unusable. And so rain and thunder comes through the land. Everyone's like scared and goes, please forgive us. We have made a mistake. We will follow the Lord. Yeah. I, that's interesting. I was thinking at first, I agree with you. I was thinking at first though, it was just a sign to say, don't start chasing after the other gods of weather mm -hmm. and all and fertility your God now is in control. But yeah, it is a judgment. You're right to say Saul is not God. Yeah. He needs to follow God. And here's, here's who the real God is. He's under God. Mm -hmm. And that's the mistake you all made. You wanted a king and just be done with it and not have to know God at all. And he's going to bring spiritual rot to your crops. And Samuel says, do not be afraid. You have, uh, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, mm -hmm. and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or, profit or deliver, for they are empty, and the Lord won't forsake his people for his name's sake. And the idea of idolatry and divination and the things we chase after, they're empty. They have no substance. And set your heart. That's the relationship, Right. It's not going to be a magic trick. It's not a manipulation to get what you want. It's a relationship with the living God. And uh, I'm setting up this king to help you. But remember who actually is your God. And if, at the very end, he says, consider what great things God has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Mm -hmm. So now you're being lumped in with your king and his actions, which again, I've already said, I, at the end of this, I'm like, oh God, thank you for not making me king. Mm -hmm. And thank you that Jesus is my king. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, who can follow God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? And, and then really at the end of it, it's 
I'm just praising God that he found a way to become our king again mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ. But in our story right now, things are going okay. Okay, yeah. We had a victory. We yeah. restored Jabesh Gilead. Yeah. Things are good. And that's where we'll stop today. Sweet. So now it's going to the old... Uh, uh, New, Testament New Testament reading. So our New Testament reading for today is John chapter 12, verse 12 through verse 50. light of all the death threats. <laughs> it's always a fun way to start a sentence off. Jesus decides this is the time for a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, into the heart <laughs> of the place that wants to kill me. Oh, man. I'm going to have a political, spiritual entry riding in on a donkey. That is so great. You know, when you put it in the context like that, it is funny. Like, we could die just going up to see Lazarus. Now they're really after us. Mm -hmm. And if you're with Jesus, you're just going, what? Are you sure? <laughs> uh, are you sure this is the time I want to do this? And nope. uh, I love this. So they, um, he comes into Jerusalem and the people actually like uh, respond positively to mm -hmm. him. And they take palm trees, branches of the palms, and went out and cry, Hosanna, Hosanna. And one of the things I didn't realize was um, the palm was like the national tree mm -hmm. for Israel. So like waving a palm frond was like waving their flag. Political, was yes. Was a political flag. That's a good good. And so, he, it, so again, a lot of this for these people, as they're seeing Jesus come in and, and he's the Christ and the Messiah, and it's during the time of the Passover where God saves them from a political uh, overlord. Philistines, Romans, yeah. whatever. Egyptians, yeah, they are making a political statement with the fronds saying, he's our political leader. Like, this yeah. is the Messiah that's going to save us, who's going to overthrow Rome. And again, this is a very bold, crazy move for Jesus, but he does it. And Hosanna is he's the Savior. Mm -hmm. He's come to save us in the name of the Lord. And then they call him the King of Israel. And what's so funny is we just read about Saul, the donkeys. Mm -hmm. Here you have Jesus found a young donkey. Yeah. And he rides it in. Jesus finds the donkey right away, and which will become a symbol throughout the, the reign of Israel. Like, if you come in on a donkey, it's during a time of peace, peace. and you're bringing peace. If you come in on your steed, on a you're, horse. you're coming in as a military victor, and it's also threatening. Which, like, I mean, one day Jesus will come in on right, a horse. He will. And it's like what uh, armies do. We just had Memorial Day. You know, you remember the sacrifice, but you also, sh it's a time to show like the force. We have tanks, mm -hmm. we have missiles. Don't forget, we would win. But he comes in, he says, fear not daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt, quoting Old mm -hmm. Testament things. And uh, his disciples did not understand at first. But then John says, when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So it's a very scary time yeah so you know when you're a leader you're doing things people who just come to consume like i go to a, a show at disney i'm not thinking about all the work that's being done or the actors and what's behind this i don't care i'm like that was pretty good or i liked it i didn't like it yeah the disciples are definitely behind the scenes going this is precarious <laughs> yeah and then it's fun too like to, there's the crowd that was with him when they saw lazarus raised from the dead and they're with him 
They're going throughout the town yeah. ahead of him, telling about uh, he raised a man from the dead, and and everyone's like rushing in, like this is this guy raised someone from the dead. Let's do this. And the Pharisees are looking at one another, like we can't do anything to stop this. He's gaining the whole world. What yeah. can we do? There's too many followers right now. And then you get like even this little section about the Greeks. Yeah, come to say what's going on, and because. At these worship, at these festivals at Passover, you're getting uh, the dispersed Israelites mm-hmm. over over the whatever years, thousand years. People have been dispersed. They're all coming. There's Greeks now. Like it's representing the whole world. And Philip went and told Andrew, which I love it. That Philip went and told Andrew about the Greeks because Philip is going to be the guy who goes to the Ethiopian eunuch yes, who yes. really takes the gospel to the rest of the world. Uh-huh. And Philip then went and told Jesus, and then Jesus just starts really, uh, everything Jesus says now after this triumphal entry is saying, look, we're like days away from my death and my <laughs> resurrection, but you don't know that. And so mm-hmm. he just keeps talking about like, if you love your life, you'll lose it. You hate your life. Um, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Uh, for eternal life, if you serve me, you must follow me. He's just pounding over and over again. If you serve mm-hmm. me, follow me. You basically saying you guys need to buckle up. We're triumphant. It's a party today, but I'm going. I'm fighting a bigger opponent than Rome or the Philistines. I'm fighting death itself. Mm-hmm. So hang on. And then he gives. Um, he says, "My soul is troubled, and what shall I do? Father, save me from this hour. Mm-hmm. But no, for this purpose I have come." To this hour, Father, glorify your name. And then this is like one of, the, one of three times that God just talks to his son out loud. Yes. And he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God is saying, I've glorified you, my son. This is your hour. Mm-hmm. And trust me, the plan is still intact. Yeah. And I will glorify you again after you die. Uh-huh. Now, some people stood there and heard it and said that it was a thunder, and others heard an angel had spoken to it. So, so like, I don't know how that breaks down. I have no no idea if people of faith hear it or what (laughs) language. Is it a heavenly language? Is it in Aramaic? Is it Hebrew? Like, whatever. But Jesus then says, kind of like the Lazarus thing, like he spoke at Lazarus' resurrection, said, I'm praying this because you heard me, but for these people. And the voice, Jesus says, the voice has come not for your sake, or not mine. Not for your sake, for not your mine. Side, not mine. And so it's like, I wanted you to hear this. Yeah. And uh, judgment of this world is right now. Yeah, and the ruler of the world will be cast out, and I will be lifted up from the earth, and will draw all people to myself. And then the people just can't understand it. So they're like, what are you talking about? Is this from the law? Are you going to be with us forever? Who must be lifted up? (laughs) And then he just goes back into light and darkness. And light Mm -hmm. is here for a little bit and has to go. Um, Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Yeah. And then he talks about the blinding, uh, how their eyes and heart have been blinded. Really quoting Isaiah. Um, because he's, again, trying to make sense of it for his little sheep. Yeah, because like, they're trying some, to figure it out. Why are some people not understanding this? I seem to get it, but mm-hmm. I don't fully get it. And then Jesus, whenever you speak, I don't really get it. Mm-hmm. But then Jesus says, look, I, I've come to save the world. Yeah. Um, again, there's I mean, essentially from here on out, I feel like we could just read the book of John. <laughs> and could. that would be doing a great service. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to choose what to say, but Jesus makes 
it very clear that, again, he is the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he, he says, um, I have not spoken of my authority. Oh, I do. This is, he comes at the end here and says, um, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Mm-hmm. This is where we're ending, right? Verse yeah. 50. Yeah. At the end of it, I think this has been an important distinction for me that faith is not an intellectual assent, like I believe these facts and therefore I'm saved. Faith is a believing that Jesus has paid for my sins. Yeah. And I'm trusting that I have life now and I will have eternal life for the sake of Jesus Christ. Like I've he's my king. And it, it can get a little bit confusing for us in this world, like yes. his disciples right now. But Jesus is our king. Mm-hmm. And as our king goes, we go. Yeah. And so you can accuse me. And here's where, I guess, the most practical part of it is when I am accused in my own mind or by others, I am free. My faith says, you know what? You're right. I have sinned against God and I've sinned against man. I, don't, I can't justify myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm trusting that Christ, that I'm forgiven that Christ has cleansed me, that I might go before God and find mercy. And I am under the rule of my king, and I get what my king deserves. Yeah, and my king has fought for me, and my king protects me, and he forgives me and makes me clean. Mm -hmm. So forgive me, and then, Lord, cleanse me of all the dirt I don't even know about myself. Right. And that is faith. And that is what Jesus is trying to tell people, and it requires a work of the Spirit, you know? And so even... Even no one is really going Jesus because they don't know, but they should be attending to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sorry you have to go through this and let me help you. But everyone is so selfish. They're like, what are you doing? Set us free. Mm-hmm. But then part of them knows you're walking right into the lion's den. You're mm-hmm. walking right in Jerusalem. Like this is a sure death trap. Yeah. It's, it's confusing. It is a confusing time. But it's glorious because Jesus, when you look back, with hindsight, you're like, he absolutely knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. He knows what he's doing. And that's the kind of king I want. Yeah. There's no question. Like, And he doesn't care what we think or anybody else thinks. <laughs> he's not trying to win the, the, uh, the votes or anything. He's not manipulating us. He's like, I've come for this reason. The lights are on and walk with me or not. Yeah. But I'm just be prepared. There's a real battle. Yeah. And, um, and in every battle people get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to feel some pain in this life, but I'm with you and um, and I'm accomplishing exactly what God the Father has told me. And we have that promise from Jesus today. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, it's hard not to want to preach nope. these things, I think we're but good. I think we're good. All right. So today I'm going to read Psalm 66, verse 1 through 12. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. 
Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living, and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.